new little series here the last few weeks uh, dealing with really some fairly uh, heavy theological issues um, in some regards. I, I've talked to a few people this week, uh, and I've, I realize that we're all in different places in our, our journey, and not only just with the Lord, but in terms of uh, many of us, many of you, like me, grew up in a, uh, a church that had a, a different perspective on some, some biblical teaching than we do. So some of the understanding of the kingdom of God and, and some of what I'm sharing might be new to some of you. It might be review for some of you. I, I understand that. So if it is review, uh, I apologize for, you know, kind of going over things uh, maybe a little more detailed than we need to. Um, hopefully it'll be helpful for everybody that we can all kind of grow together and, and have a, a common understanding of how we approach not only our walk with the Lord, but really uh, the advancement of God's kingdom and, and ministry and life and everything that goes with that here in this church. So uh, the next two weeks, today and next week, the questions are kind of related. They're very similar. So I'm, I'm really going to do this as sort of a part one, part two. Two. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think that... I don't think my voice is changing. It could, it could be. I don't know if it ever did, actually. Uh, today, our question is, why is there so much suffering in the world? Uh, and suffering, we're looking at all kind of the big picture, anything that causes grief in the life of a person. I would actually encourage you to do this. As we go through today and next Sunday, and even this morning, think about that for a minute. What is it that, that causes grief in your life right now? For some people, it's an illness. Uh, for other people, it's relational. Uh, there, there's a lot of different, it might be financial. What is it that causes pain, suffering, grief in your life? And, and kind of apply that to what we're saying. Uh, but, but these things happen. Is this God's judgment like some people say? So that's what we'll talk about today a little bit. And then in follow-up next Sunday, uh, we're going to look at if God is good all the time. That's something we say here a lot, right? God is good all the time. If that's true, why do bad things happen to people who love and serve Him? Are some people more blessed than others? I think sort of connected to that is the issue of, does life ever seem just sort of random to you? You, you all lie. Yes, it does. Life is random. Uh, what, what is it? Is, it? is luck for real? Is it, is, it just, is it just random or not? So we'll talk about that. So kind of part one, part two. Today I want to focus a little bit on kind of a theological framework for some of this stuff. And then next Sunday, uh, we'll, we'll really do a little more uh, of an application kind of thing where we talk about really how uh, challenges, uh, sometimes we call them trials, difficulties, suffering, happens in our lives. And, and what do we do about that when it does? So, so that'll be the focus. So again, uh, here, here's, I think, the thing. You know, if God is good all the time, and we believe that. We, let's just say that off the top. We believe God is good all the time. Uh, if God is good all the time, and, and if God is all-powerful, and we believe that too, that God is all-powerful, He is omnipotent, uh, if, if those two things are true, why is there so much bad stuff going on in the world? Why, why is it that I turn the news on every single day and hear another story about another kid being abused somewhere? Every single day I hear that. And I'll be honest, I get tired of hearing about that. I don't like hearing those things. Why, why is it that there is so much pain in this world? Why is that? Why, why is there so much disease? 
Why do we see people that we love get sick and die sometimes? Why are why do children die? Why why are why do infants, brand new babies, why do they get sick and die? What have they done to deserve that? Um, I, gang violence, shootings. You hear about these stories of lives: fifteen-year-old kids, seventeen-year-old kid. Uh, all the uh, you, you know, uh, in, in recent years, the last ten or twelve years, you know, human trafficking has trafficking has come to the forefront. Uh, of uh, uh, a lot of Christian ministry and a lot of things that are happening. And you go, really? Did you guys know there are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been before in history? Did you know that? Why is that? Why, if God is good all the time, if God is all-powerful, why do, why do these things happen? Why is that true? I want to say... Um, First of all, th- th- those are good questions. If you're asking those questions, then good, good on you. You really should be. As Christians, I don't think it's uh, uh, to our benefit to bury our head in the sand and pretend that it's not happening. And I don't think the right answer is to say, praise Jesus all the time for everything. I'm sorry. I just don't think that's the right answer. I don't think we can say that when we see those kinds of things happening all around us all the time. I think we have to have a better answer than that. Um, so, yeah, good. if you're asking these questions, good for you. If you're not, you should be. Rogan, you did a bad job today. I mean, you know what? If I paid you, I would fire you, but I don't pay you. So, um, I wouldn't really fire you. I love you way too much for that. I do. You guys know, everybody knows me. You know, if I pick on them, that means I love them all the more. Um, I am a little uh, uh, fired up. So, good good questions. You should be asking these questions. Okay, that's one. Two, I want to say this off the top. The answer to these questions really uh, is informed by, it hinges upon how you read the Bible. Not if you read the Bible or how much you read it, but really how you read it. There are varying interpretations. And we're going to look at one interpretation and then another interpretation today. And, and that's reality. That's why I think this is important to really have a good understanding of what is the Bible really saying? What does it mean when it says certain things? Um, I would also say this, though, and, I, and I just, I, you know, I've got to say, I believe, by and large, most people that are following after God come up with a... They, they, we, we all have a history. We've been educated. We learn things. We're taught things. You come up with an interpretation of the Bible, that's what you believe to be true. And I, and I think that some people believe what they believe to be true is true. And that's why they are so forceful about what they say. Um, and, and so I'm not critical of that in, in the sense I, I may disagree. I may think they're wrong. I do think some teachings are harmful. And, and, and I'm hoping to you know what, share what I believe is true and accurate and correct those. But at the same time, I'm not critical of those people because I believe, by and large, for the most part, most of them are truly seeking out uh, God's will f- for their lives. So, with that, uh, that said, that's just my disclaimer. I'll present what I believe to be an accurate teaching, an accurate reading of Scripture with full understanding that somebody else might not agree with me. Um, so, uh, let's go from there. Let me pray real quick. I think I need to. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. Uh, would you just really uh, open our hearts to receive, enlighten the eyes of our hearts today. Uh, open your word to us, Lord. 
Help me to uh, speak those things that are from you. In your name, amen. So why is there so much suffering in the world? Tsunamis, diseases, etc., etc., earthquakes. Is, is this God's judgment? Common response, let me say this, very, very, very common response I- among Christians. When tragedy happens on any level, and this can be personal level, you know, a family tragedy, personal tragedy, and or these big, bigger sort of broader issues. Today, I'm going to focus more on the broader issues, next Sunday more on the personal issues. But in either case, a very common response, a very common answer to that is to blame God for those things. Um, in the uh, 1980s, uh, which many of you probably don't even remember, but I was a youth pastor in the 1980s at a, at a large church, uh, and, I, and I had a lot of young people that were uh, Christians. They were growing. They are trying to learn about God, and they're moving forward, figuring out what it means. They're teenagers, right? They're, so they're typical teenagers while they're doing that. Uh, and it was during that time that the AIDS epidemic just exploded onto the scene, sort of, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world. I remember uh, very clearly uh, the, the news conference where Magic Johnson disclosed that he had AIDS. And uh, so I had all these kids, and uh, they, were out, they had a lot of questions. They were afraid, and, and, and then they were hearing, well, this is God's judgment on homosexuals, you know? And so then the, the, you know, their minds are going, well, if, if God's judging them for their sin, am I going to get judged? Is this, what's going to come down the pike next week in my life? Uh, that's an honest question. They were confused, and, and there, were, there was a, a, lot of, a, a lot of prominent Christian voices across the country. We've got to do something about this thing. It's going to be the death of me. Just keep moving. Oh, that's better. Uh, a lot of Christian voices were, were saying this is God's judgment um, for homosexuality in our country. Uh, and, and I'll say this, while I think the social climate and the spiritual climate, uh, at least in the Western world and in our country, has changed somewhat from that day to this day, there's still people out there saying that. That's not, that hasn't gone away. Um, more recently, 2005, some of you remember Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast of the United States, uh, sort of centered in Louisiana and in and around New Orleans. And once again, you heard... Uh, Christian voices saying this is God's judgment because of the sinful lifestyle. I heard uh, Mardi Gras, Sodom and Gomorrah. Mardi Gras, Sodom and Gomorrah. So same thing. God's judging New Orleans. They're bad people. They get slammed with a hurricane. Um, 1,800 people, roughly, give or take, died in that. Uh, The statistics would show us about 20% of those people, so whatever that is, 350 or something of them were children. Uh, 2010, more recently... A uh, 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck Haiti. You guys remember that? Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, I've never been to Haiti. I I would like to go there. I didn't go after the earthquake. A lot of vineyard people did. Um, I've been to Nicaragua many times. Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, The comparison is this. I've seen the infrastructure of underdeveloped countries. you know, we complain when, when we're building something. You're adding a room onto your house or whatever, and you have to go through all these permits and codes and all this stuff. And we complain, ah, what do they care? It's my property. Well, I've been to countries that have no permits, no codes. 
You know, if you, wanna, you don't like complaining, go to Haiti, go to Nicaragua. You can build whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. But let me tell you what, uh, when something like this happens, it all falls down. Uh, there are massive, massive areas in downtown Managua that were destroyed by an earthquake in 1972, never been rebuilt. So, all that to say simply that the, the, the devastation of that earthquake in Haiti in 2010 was unbelievable. Most of us cannot even believe the devastation that happened to that country because of the lack of infrastructure when an earthquake uh, of that magnitude hits. No one knows, and this is the other thing about underdeveloped countries, no one knows how many people died. The low estimates are 100,000. The low estimates are 100,000 people died. The high estimates go all the way up to 300,000. No one really knows. Millions of people were displaced, left homeless, hungry, diseased. It's, it's astronomical what happens when something like that takes place. And again, we heard Christian voices saying this is God's judgment. Some of you are familiar with uh, Pat Robertson. He's a Christian pastor, broadcaster. Um, Robertson went on TV on his show and said that this was God's judgment on Haiti, the earthquake. Because, and he, he told us why, which was helpful, in 1804... The government leaders of Haiti made a pact with the devil. Haiti was under the governance of France at that time. They were seeking their independence from France, and so they did what any uh, good government would do when they're seeking independence. They turned to Satan. Uh, And they agreed to sell their souls if Satan would grant them freedom from France, and apparently that deal worked out. Uh, so that was the cause of God's judgment. And 106 years later, this earthquake hit Haiti because of that arrangement made by those people then. Let me just mention a couple things. One, they weren't around anymore. Those people were all gone. No one from 1804 was still alive. So there is that. Um, secondly, let me mention how many passages of Scripture there are that deal with God's heart and care for the poor. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages explaining God's heart for the poor. And so, because of something that took place 106 years ago, God's now judging that country and brought massive devastation upon some of the poorest people in the world. That's what was said by Christian voices in our country about that earthquake. In almost every tragedy that happens on every level, and you hear this, you hear this. I've had friends who've had a child die, and someone comes and says, well, you know, this is God's purpose. He's got something in this for you. He's going to teach you a lot. There's something God wants you to know. That That's the only way you can learn that lesson, that this is, this is you know, the 9-11 attacks in this country. It's God's judgment. You hear that, and again, that in, that comes from a common interpretation of Scripture that says that God is good, God is powerful, and so therefore God must have purpose in what's happening here today. Um, 
That's, that's the mindset, that's the theology behind those responses. So this morning I want to present what I believe to be a, an alternate view to that. And I want to begin with the Lord's Prayer, if we could. Uh, Brogan prayed this earlier during communion. Um, I'll just read it again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, Let me remind you here the context for this. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Now let me just say this. Uh, I think that's important. Okay? I believe all scripture is inspired by God. Uh, but but I do think that some scripture has a little more weight and value in terms of application to our lives than others. I tend to think the Gospels and the life and teaching of Jesus have a little more weight and value for my life than some other passages. Um, prayer, I believe, is a very, very important part of my Christian life. It's the It's not the only way we communicate with God, but it certainly is the primary way by which we communicate with God. So, If Jesus is teaching us how to pray, I think that's important. I'm just saying. Jesus does pray this way, that God's kingdom would come and His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. (coughs) The inference there, if I'm reading this correctly, is that God's will is not fully being done on earth as it is in heaven. That sometimes God has a will and a purpose for things, That's not happening. I I believe that's what that's saying. I also know that to be true from other passages. Here's one example, but there are a number of passages where we could look at God having a will and a purpose for life that's not taking place. This is good and pleases God our Savior. What does God want? All people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Is that happening? No, that's God's will, that all people will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But that's not happening. And so I I have to come away with the conclusion that even though God is all good and even though God is all powerful, there are things in His purpose and His plan and His will for my life and the lives of those around me that are not taking place. Also, in the context of that prayer, He says this powerful phrase, deliver us from the evil one. What does that tell you? We, 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 We are under the power to some degree and some measure, the power and control of the evil one. Let me say, ultimately, I believe, God's greater purpose, God's general will, will be done. That it will be accomplished. I believe that. I believe it's already been done and it's being worked out now. But I also believe that His specific will, moment by moment, day by day, person by person, is not always happening. And I believe very strongly that that's what Scripture teaches. Um... There are, and, and here's why, there are other forces at play, uh, specifically uh, this evil one that Jesus asks us to pray to be delivered from. Jesus says we are to pray to be delivered from the evil one. I, I mentioned in our intro a few weeks ago, Vineyard uh, Churches, we believe in what we, what we call kingdom theology. Uh, we, 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 the kingdom of God is the framework by which we review scripture through. Some people call that warfare theology. You might read an author or hear somebody speak on warfare theology. It's, it's pretty much 
those two things are, are, are very much the same thing. Um, but what we believe is there's, there's, there's conflicting forces. There's a war. There's a battle going on. God has a will and purpose, but there are opposing wills and opposing purposes coming against him. Um, that other kingdom, that's, there's, a, there's a clash of kingdoms, a conflict, two, two nations at war, if you will. It's called at different times Satan's kingdom by Matthew, uh, the dominion or kingdom of darkness by Paul, and then the, the kingdom of this world by John in the book of Revelation. All those are the same, kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, uh, or the kingdom of this world. Those are all the same things. Um, we, uh, we understand as, as Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, there is a leader of this other kingdom as well, uh, generally not referred to as a king, uh, usually as, as a prince, the prince of this world uh, by John in multiple places, the God of this age, small g, God of this age, by Paul in Corinthians. Um, and then another verse that I want to uh, look at here real quickly to illustrate this, Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus as he was entering into his ministry. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to, you, to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. He's asking Jesus to worship him in order to, in exchange for all the authority of the world. Jesus' response is that, as, as it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He responds that, no, I'm not going to worship you, but he does not refute the claim. Let me say this. If it was not a legitimate temptation, it means nothing. It was a legitimate temptation. He had the authority to offer Jesus the authority of the world. He, he holds it at this point. Are you guys following me? Is this boring? Okay, thank you. I'm just checking. I got 15 minutes. I have cut my coffee and take down a little bit this morning. Um, John tells us that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world. So, so my point is simply this, that, that there are opposing forces, that God has a will and a purpose and a plan for life, but, but that he is in conflict with Satan and his kingdom, which uh, have, uh, we'll talk about it in a moment, an opposing will. In an opposing plan. <coughs> Two of the most prolific signs of the advancement of God's kingdom. Not the only signs of the advancement of God's kingdom, but two, two of the most prolific in Scripture are healing and deliverance. So we see throughout the New Testament, uh, particularly the Gospels, to a lesser degree in the book of Acts, um, healing and deliverance taking place. Uh, primarily through the ministry of Jesus, but then to some degree through the ministry of others that he releases to do so. Jesus never says, those, those are signs of the advancement of God's kingdom. Jesus never ever sees sickness and or demonic oppression as being from God. He never says those are part of God's plan. He never says those are judgment from God. He never says God's trying to teach you a lesson through this sickness uh, he, Jesus, and again, my framework for Scripture is, 
I'm looking at Jesus as the ultimate expression, the, the clearest, fullest revelation we have of God. He never sees it that way. It's never part of God's divine purpose that we suffer in any capacity, including sickness and or any form or any level of demonic oppression. That's a, another story for another day. But the enemy, the, 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 the God of this age, the God of this world, has the ability to affect our lives in a lot of ways. Okay? Um, so Jesus never sees it that way. On the contrary, he makes it very clear that those things are the work of the enemy. And that he is in, in conflict with that, and that when his, ki- his kingdom is advancing, think about a war, when one army advances, when, when, when healing or deliverance happens, God's kingdom, he's taking territory, his kingdom is moving forward, and the enemy's kingdom is being defeated. That's always the way that Jesus sees those things. There's a story that he tells in the book of Matthew uh, that I think is very, very, very insightful on this issue. And then they, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. So this particular man has physical ailments uh, that have been brought about by demonic oppression, um, which, again, uh, another topic for another day. That's not always the case, but sometimes it is. In this particular case, it was. And Jesus healed him so that, so that he could both talk and see. The people were astonished. Could this be the son of David? Is this the guy? When the Pharisees heard this, they accused Jesus of casting out that demon and healing this man by the power of Beelzebul, or Satan, the prince of demons, another name for him. That's how he drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, and again, we, this is one of those uh, phrases in common use today, but this is the origin of it, and, and, and this is what it was in reference to, and this is an important, important teaching by Jesus. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. See, that makes no sense. How then can this, his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, and I like this part too, by who do your people drive them out? Um, so he's putting it back on them, which I just think it wasn't necessary, but uh, good for him for doing it. So then they will be your judges. But, and here it is, if, I, if, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If it's by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come. And then he closes with this, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Satan is a strong man. He has authority. He has power. He's he's not, you know, nothing. Satan is a strong man, and he has possessions. He has taken hold. He has taken captive of the lives of people. Those are his possessions. How can we get those things back? How can we take those away? Unless we bind him, we tie up the strong man, and the only one that can do that is a stronger man who is God. Jesus says that we're not, these are not equal and opposite forces. They are opposing forces, but they are not equal. Jesus is stronger. He's able to take back those things that the enemy has taken unrightfully. They're really not his. They were God's, and he took them, and Jesus takes them back. And among those are uh, sickness and, and demonic oppression in our lives. Jesus never attributes those things to God. Jesus never attributes those things to God. 
Jesus came. Jesus, I came to give life. They would have life and have it to the full, or, or some translations say abundantly. That's Jesus' agenda. Full life, abundant life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his agenda. Okay? He comes to do those things. God didn't come to do those things. Um, here, here's the deal. Okay? Why does the world look like a war zone? Because it is. Okay? The world looks like a war zone because it is. There is a war going on. There is a conflict. There is a battle taking place. There is a real enemy who really does have power and authority and has, he, he has one agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. And as John Wimber used to say, he never takes a day off. He never takes a day off. He's working overtime to screw up your life. That's all he wants, is to screw up your life. And we won't look at all the passages today, but if you read through the New Testament, he is uh, behind, it It tells us in different places, uh, sickness and oppression. He is behind um, spiritual uh, deception and spiritual sickness. He is behind uh, uh, the the hindrance of ministry and evangelism. The reason that not all people have come to know who God is, we looked at earlier, is because of the devil. He is behind spiritual blindness. He is behind uh, the behavior. He directs and guides the behavior of evil people who have come under his control. Uh, he works in their lives. Some people just aren't nice. And sometimes that's why. Uh, he brings discouragement into our lives, it tells us. He brings us um, temptation into our lives so that we too will be pulled away from God. He persecutes believers. And sometimes, and here's, this is a, again an overview today, this is a big picture, but I, I, I believe he is even in control of things like tsunamis and earthquakes and devastating storms. I do not believe those are God's will. I do believe in God's, in the new heaven and the new earth and God's kingdom that those things won't take place. That they do today partly because uh, Satan and demons have been given authority and dominion over certain aspects of life as we have been and that those, that's one of the aspects that they've been given given, and I base that mostly on this. Um, I love this story. Pure squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other. I think at that point they're terrified of him. Um, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Um, there's big issues here. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so my point is, God is not behind the devastation. I, I don't believe God sent a storm to kill 300,000 people and ruin the lot. I, I, I cannot... I, I can't. I honestly can't worship a God like that. If I re, if I I don't know. I I really, on one level. I have to nod my hat to people that have that perspective because I, if they really are following after that God with their whole heart, because I'll be honest with you, I could not. I could not follow after that God with my whole heart. Um, how? Here's the thing, and I'll try to end this fairly quickly. How did God get himself into that position? If God is good all the time, which we, I believe he is, if he's all-powerful, well, h- how did he get from 
there to hear what happened. Uh, Romans 10. Paul's quoting Isaiah here, by the way. I don't know the Isaiah reference. Concerning Israel, God's people, he says, All day long, this is God speaking, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So if God is all-powerful, why is it that he's holding out his hands all day long to a uh, stubborn, disobedient, and obstinate people? Uh, how, how did that happen? I, I really believe the answer lies in the nature of love, which is the nature of God. Uh, we looked at this last week. John tells us in First John two different times, God is love. That is God's nature. It's inherent. It's his DNA. It's who he is. It's what he is. Again, God's not loving. God doesn't. He is loving, but I'm not saying he's not loving. He is. He's not just loving. It's not just that he loves you. God is love. That's who he is. And God will not violate his own nature. He's created the world with a certain order, uh, the way that he wanted it to be. And so he doesn't change that when it doesn't work out. Uh, I believe the nature of love is that for love to be real, hang with me, for love to be real, uh, and, and I just, I really do believe that God, all of creation in God's mind and heart is to display His love. His whole idea is to have a people that would enter into this love relationship that the Father, Son, and Spirit have in eternity, that we would join in that. Jesus prays that in John 17, that the earth, the world, is a created place for us to enjoy that relationship together. That's what it's for. It's, it's, the, it's that this love relationship would be walked out and worked out day by day. That's what God's purpose is. But for that to happen, love must be genuine. If love's genuine, then we have to accept it. He doesn't force it upon us. John also used to say, you know, he, God's a gentleman. So if love is genuine, if, if we have to accept that that means conversely, if that's real, if that's real, we can also reject it, right? Otherwise, it's not really love. If you say to Sarah, you have to love me, that's not real love. It doesn't work that way. No, God says, I love you. I want you to love me. I want to be in love relationship with you. But if you don't want to, I understand. And he allows people to have that free will that we is the term given to it, to choose to accept or not accept God's love. Satan, the enemy identified in the verses we looked at before, is, is a created being of God, an angelic being created, that rejected that love, and he now leads the rebel forces, and he took a bunch of his friends with him, and I believe that there are demons, angelic beings, that have rejected God's will, and that their job is to now get people to also reject God's will and turn away from Him, and that's what they are working to do. So, what we see in the world around us today is the reality of that. See, here's the thing. As God's people, we, we are both in the army, we're fighting for God's kingdom, we also are the battlefield. We are what's being fought over. And have you ever heard the phrase, you know, you lose the battle but win the war. Sometimes we lose the battle but win the war. Sometimes we fall prey to Satan's temptation. Sometimes you ever do something that is just so out of character, you do something so bad, and, and you, that you ask yourself later, what was I thinking? Sometimes you lose the battle but win the war, and then others have lost. They, 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 they have succumbed. And... And so that's what's happening. 
That's what's happening in the world today. There, look, this is a huge topic. There are volumes and volumes and volumes written on this. I said I would give you guys a book recommendation. Uh, today I'm going to recommend one, but again, there's a lot written on this. Um, N.T. Wright is one of my favorite authors. Tremendous guy. Uh, Evil and the Justice of God. Not his most well-known work. You, some of you probably read Simply Christian or Simply Jesus, which I, I also highly recommend. Um, but Evil and the Justice of God, N.T. Wright deals with this topic quite well. Let me close. I'll just couple comments. Sorry, I'm gone over again. Just sum it up. I believe origin of, the origin of evil, the genesis of evil, lies with Satan, not with God. That Satan rebelled against God and that uh, the origin of evil lies with him. Um, that it's not God's will. That his people would suffer and be in pain. But the reality is this, that we will and we do. And sometimes horribly. And some of God's people will go through horrible, horrible suffering in the course of life. But that that's not God's will. It's because we live in a world at war. That's what's behind that. Very often you hear Romans 8.28 invoked at this point. Um, Romans 8.28, I'll read it to you. We all know that. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. People say, well, it's God's doing, you know, this is God's going to, you know, do good out of the bad. Yeah, let, let me say this. I believe God is so infinite in his wisdom that he can... He can take a bad situation and work good out of it, but I do not believe that that means that God in any way intended for that bad situation to happen in the beginning. Okay, um, that's what I believe. Here, I'll give you an example. I'll just I'll take a minute. That's my niece, Heidi. Uh, she's just the cutest little thing you've ever seen in your whole life. And Heidi was born with a very rare congenital heart defect. Uh, I may get this wrong, but I believe that the arteries were reversed. They were going the wrong way in her heart. So uh, as a brand newborn infant, she had to be actually packed in ice and flown. She was born in California across the country to Boston and have uh, the leading heart surgeon in the country do an emergency uh, surgery on her where those veins were re- were reversed. She then, it was uh, she, it was successful and she lived in and, and ha- had a great life and as a teenager growing up. And a couple years ago, at about age 20, um, some scar tissue and things that developed, and she had to go back in and have a second surgery done. Um, also successful. She's still out there. Um, but the outcome of that is Heidi started an organization called Project Happy Hearts. And Project Happy Hearts lifts awareness for congenital heart disease in children, but the, the, the primary focus of it is making your heart happy. And she encourages people to just focus on the good things in life and what makes you happy, not what makes you sad. Uh, it's a tremendous ministry. Uh, she's getting some visibility. She had a write-up in Huffington Post the other day, and she's starting to, people are hearing about it. So I think God took something really bad and tragic, worked something good in it. I think he can do that, but I don't think he intended that to happen. Uh, real quick, I want to address uh, briefly the, the whole demon behind every bush sort of idea that we hear. Some of you have heard that terminology. Uh, you know, let me give you an example. You know, uh, somebody goes out to start their car, they have a very important meeting at work that morning. Start the car, car won't start. Oh, well the devil is, this is warfare, the devil doesn't want me to make my meeting and I'll get in trouble at work. Okay, well the truth is that you left your lights on last night, your battery's dead. That's what happened. Um, not the, the, I don't think the devil made your car do that. Okay, so I'll summarize by this. I think the answer to that question is the same as the answer to God's purpose and will. 
I believe God's purpose and will will be done in its fullness, but specifically day to day it's not. So is Satan behind every bad thing that happens? Ultimately, yes. Okay? Ultimately, yes. But specifically, moment by moment, no. Stuff happens. Okay? Stuff just happens. There are, and we'll talk about this next week, thousands and thousands of independent decisions made by people and or angelic beings every moment that are intersecting every day that cause stuff to happen. Okay? That's just the way it is. So I really believe that ultimately, yes, Satan is behind all bad things, but moment by moment, you can't blame him if you leave your lights on. You know, you, okay, you run over a nail. I've heard that you run a nail on the freeway, you get a flat tire. Oh, the devil. Well, no, what happened is that contractor didn't close that box of nails on his truck and one flew off and you ran it over. That's what happened. That, that happens, okay? He made a decision not to do that and it caused this. So, uh, and I believe that's true of sickness as well. That's the one is, did Satan cause this sickness? I do not believe that Satan is directly behind every sickness that takes place. I believe he is behind some of them directly, some indirectly, that some sickness just happens, okay? Um, so, so that's that. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, we'll just close. So here's the thing. My point today is that I do not believe the Bible teaches that, that the things that we experience, the suffering and pain that we go through in life is God's judgment and or God's will or purpose for our lives, that those are the results of living in a fallen world that is at war and that there are forces working against us. And I believe that that, to me, very clearly is what the Bible teaches. And that the further we look into it, the more we understand that, the better able we are to, to walk that out uh, together with Jesus in a positive way and see God's kingdom advance. And that's what we pray for and what the end is that we work for here in this church every day, uh, every week, all the time. Okay, let's stand. Uh, why don't we just do this today since we're running over.